middle of the country, but not middle of the road opinions. It's the podcast dedicated to sports in the air capital of the world. I'm going to Wichita. Wichita, Kansas and beyond. With Tommy Castor and Weston Mills, this is Keeper of the Games. Hey, what's up? Welcome into Keeper of the Games. We are the podcast that focuses on everything in the world of sports in the air capital of Wichita, Kansas and beyond. Along with Weston Mills, I'm Tommy Castor back for another episode. Before we dive into everything going on in the world of sports right now, I want to remind you to hit subscribe. That way, anytime we drop a new episode of Keeper of the Games, you'll be notified. You can find us anywhere you listen to your favorite podcast. We are on iTunes, uh, Spotify, Google Play, brand new on iHeartRadio. So if you listen to podcasts, on iHeartRadio. You can find us there. Tune in. Uh, We're also on Stitcher, uh, Pocket Cast, and pretty much, like I said, anywhere you listen to your favorite podcast. You can also go online, cogpod.weebly.com. And on top of that, you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at cogpod, at K-O-G-pod. And you can also watch full episodes on Facebook and YouTube just by searching for Keeper of the Games. So with all of that out of the way, Weston, it's been about a week since we've had a new episode. Did you have a good holiday weekend? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, got to kind of escape a little bit, get get out of town and, and see some of my buddies. Uh, I have a good friend who lives down just outside of Freeman, Missouri. So he had bought a he bought a new smoker. So we had to go try that out, and we smoked a six pound pork butt, and it was it was a really good time. It was it felt finally like a little bit of a more normal uh, weekend that was one of the more normal weekends I've had in a while. But uh, had about eight to ten friends out there, and kind of got to hang out and see everybody kind of for the first time, really since we've been in quarantine, but we didn't, you know, felt like we were kind of, we were responsible with it and it wasn't anything too, um, you know, over the, over the top or, or out there, we were, we were being safe. So you did not go to Lake of the Ozarks then over the weekend. <laughs> no, I, sh- I sure did not. Uh, saw all the photos of that looked uh, pretty crazy. Uh, as a matter of fact, since I've been back, I had a dentist appointment and a um, haircut in both places. Wanted to make sure that I had not recently been to Lake of the Ozarks. So glad that go. I didn't. So I could get all the necessities taken care of. Now I would imagine what maybe five years ago you might have been at Lake of the Ozarks. Uh, probably, I think you're uh, probably spot on. Actually, I think five years ago I was that same friend who lives in Freeman, Missouri. Actually, used to live at Lake of the Ozarks, and that's kind of started the tradition of hanging out with him and some of us getting together on World Day. And it was down at Lake of the Ozarks. Um, and I guess I won't speak to the level of fun that we had when we were down there. <laughs> hey, it's totally okay. Yeah, you know, <laughs> I think I'm at the age now. I don't know now that you're in your 30s. If it's kind of like, all right, let's have more of a subdued holiday weekend and and not go crazy. Yeah, you know, I'm I'm just at. I just want to make it clear, Tommy. I'm just at 30. I don't. I mean, I guess that considers you're me in your in 30s. 30s though. But okay, f- fine, fine, fine. I mean, you can't argue that. I mean, if you're 30, you're in your 30s. I, you, I, the thing, I, one of the common threads, I'm going to get off topic here. One of the common threads <laughs> in this podcast is I think you want to paint this picture that there's this huge age disparity between you and I. And really, there's not. I'm 34, you're 30. So it's like, it's not like you're just barely 21. And I'm like in my forties. I mean, we're not that far apart. I know, but when, you know, we started this, I, you know, I guess I've been 30 the whole time we started it, but I'm just into my thirties where I still feel like the guys who are in their mid thirties, that sound so old to me, even though I'm right on your coattail. Hey, you know, 30 is the new 20, I think is what they, <laughs> hey, what they've said. I'm, I don't know. If I'm in for that. True. I'm in, yeah. I'm in for at least maybe 30 is the new 25. 
Maybe so. I mean, you can tell that to my bladder with the number of times that I get up and I'm not to go to the bathroom. Uh, why don't we go ahead and dive right in uh, to Keeper of the Games? Actually, before we get started, want to thank our first sponsor that we have of Keeper of the Games. So our podcast is brought to all of you uh, by our friends at Title Boxing Club here in Wichita. They're in the shops at Tallgrass at 21st and Rock Road. Of course, Title Boxing Club, you know, not unlike a lot of the other businesses out there that had to close in the middle of the COVID-19 pandemic, they are back open now and they've got a pretty cool special going on right now you can get your first month free with the purchase of any gloves so if you buy any boxing gloves then you're going to get your first month free at title boxing club to welcome everybody in wichita back uh, to the gym to work out and i don't know about you but uh, you know two months of quarantine i need to get back into the gym pretty badly so a pretty good deal there from title boxing club yeah, that's, I mean, any type of workout you can get your hands on right now is a good one. It sounds like Title Boxing Club has a pretty good uh, special run for everybody. Absolutely. So like I said, Keeper of the Games brought to you by Title Boxing Club, the shops at Tallgrass at 21st and Rock Road. All right. So our top story, our big topic uh, for the day uh, has to do with the Wichita wind surge. So we've been sort of on pins and needles wondering what's going to happen with the inaugural season of the Wichita wind surge at the brand new Riverfront Stadium. Still no word from minor league baseball about what's going to happen to their 2020 season. But we do know that the parent club of the Wichita wind surge, the Miami Marlins, they're going to continue to pay their minor leaguers, even with no minor league season in sight, uh, which is definitely good news. There's been a lot of questions about, you know, you've got these guys like Mike Trout, you know, and these major, you know, major league baseball superstars that are, they've got contracts of millions and millions of dollars. But if you're in the minor leagues, especially if you're in single A or double A, you're not making a whole lot of money. So, uh, you know, definitely good for the, the, the Marlins organization to come through and continue to pay their minor league players. Uh, through basically what would have been the end of the minor league season. My question to you, Weston, is with the Marlins guaranteeing to go ahead and continue to pay their minor league players through the end of the season, do you think they know something we don't? Do you think that they know that there very well could not be a minor league season? Yeah, so uh, I, I think the answer lies with what's going on with the MLB, right? So here there had been talk and talk and talk of, Hey, it looks like there's going to be baseball. It looks like they've got it figured out. It looks like it's going to be an 81 or 82 game season. Um, you know, they're, they're probably going to play maybe a little bit more regional. There was talk about playing it at Disney, maybe going down to Arizona and playing it. Then we've heard about maybe they're going to play in their stadiums with no fans. And it felt like things were getting imminent. Well, we kind of hit a halt with the MLB, with the owners having discussions with the MLBPA about the money, right? That's what this all boils down to is the money. The players are saying, I'm not taking a pay cut. The owners want them to do it, go at a prorated um, salary. And that's kind of where we're butting heads on what's going on. The owner's saying, Hey, look, we're going to, we're set to lose all this money. And the players saying, you know, okay, well, you're, you know, you're a billionaire owner and, and we're not taking a pay cut just so you can, you know, increase your profits. And then, Here's where in and, and now here's where we wrap it back in with the minor leagues, right? Because one, we for sure know minor minor leagues are not playing if the MLB and the MLBPA or the owners in the MLBPA can't sort something out. That the minor league seasons won't happen. But two, this kind of feels like I mean, you certainly hope the owners are doing this out of the goodness of, of their heart, and by that being 
said, you can kind of also look at some of the, you know, there's a lot of different staff and stadium employees that they continued to pay for a while. And I, to be honest with, I'm not sure where we currently stand with most of the teams. If they're currently paying a lot of their, their stadium employees or smaller organization employees. Um, but this kind of feels like almost like a leverage move from the owners, right? Where it's like, Hey, we're going to keep pumping this good PR out there. Look, we're paying our employees. We're paying our, our, our minor league players till the end. But, but our major league guys aren't willing to take a prorated contract or a small pay cut to make this all work. And frankly, whether it's a PR stunt or, or it is just out of the goodness of their heart. And, and this is into the, into getting into the discussions. I kind of am finding myself siding with the owners on this. I kind of feel like these major league guys, like you said, who are, I mean, of course you think of the Mike, Tr Mike Trouts, but even, you know, I'm not sure what the league minimum is, but it's still significantly higher than what these minor league guys are making. Um, and they can't, you know, we can't find some sort of, of agreement for you to pay, le make less of a contract on a season that you're not playing all the way out. It just, I don't know. It's, to me, whatever happens with the minor leagues is completely tied into what happens with the majors. And it's unfortunate, I feel like, that you have two very wealthy sides, the owners and the players, potentially putting a lot of other people at risk of not making any money this season. One of the things that I had mentioned to you, I think it was on the last episode, or maybe it was two episodes ago, uh, when we were just briefly discussing the Wichita whip around about what might happen with the minor league season. I know we've talked about it a few different times. Uh, it was my opinion that there, there just won't be a minor league season, that whatever happens with the major league season, if the owners and the players can come to an agreement, which I think that they will, I think they, I think both sides realize how important of a deal it is to get something done to at yeah. least play some of the season. Um, but th there's going to be a lot of changes. And some of that, in my opinion, is going to be the need for expanded rosters. If they're going to be trying to cram in a lot of games from you know the beginning of July, potentially, to the end of the season, that's going to be a lot of baseball games. And you're going to need more players to fill out your rosters. And that's where teams are going to have to pull from their minor league squads you know, to make that happen. So I think, you know, Knowing that, uh, I think it's more likely there's probably not going to be a major league season. Also, the fact that, you know, I just have a hard time believing that a lot of minor league squads are going to be okay with having games with fans in the stadiums. And without fans in the stadiums, there's really no point in having the games because that's where the revenue comes from, you know, mm -hmm. for all of these teams are the fans in, in the stadiums and, you know, spending money on the tickets and the concessions and the merch, you know, so it just leads me to believe that, you know, I just, I think that it's inevitable regardless of what major league baseball comes up with, with the players association and the owners. I just have a hard time thinking that there's going to be a minor league season at all. I would just imagine that a lot of these teams are going to say, all right, well, why don't we just, you know, start to prep for 2021, you know, and let our players join the major league squads when they're needed and where they're needed during the season with potentially expanded rosters and just kind of go from there. I just don't, I just don't see a, a scenario where there's going to be minor league baseball happening this summer. So I guess the way I can kind of envision it, because I kind of think like you said about Major League Baseball, both sides realize what they're missing out if they don't play this season. There's too much money to be had to just scrap the whole thing if they can figure out a way to do it. I kind of think that's the same way with the minor leagues to a degree, because you're right. There, there isn't these big TV deals, and if you don't have fans in the stands, it's hard to spell, sell sponsorships in the stadiums. But again, you're talking about, you know, I mean, Major League Baseball and then ultimately the MILB, I think, is the minor league 
baseball association, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, anyways, uh, you know, they're all, I mean, these are all pretty incredible, essentially companies that are being ran, right? So they are going to find a way, I think, to be creative with the given circumstances to, to, to do something. And the other thing is, I don't think that because baseball is different than a lot of other sports, right? Like with football, your off season is it's lifting weights. It's, it's, you know, getting your agility up, you know, it's maybe getting some timing just on, on run running routes, those kind of things. Basketball is just getting shots up in the gym. Well, with baseball, kind of the way those guys, I mean, whether it's, you know, right or wrong, the way those guys seem to all train is by playing baseball. Um, mm. So I think a lot of the major le- major league organizations are not going to want to stunt the growth of prospects. And what I think you might see maybe is, you know, especially if the major league teams can go ahead and shift off and play in their home stadiums, um, you know, obviously with no fans, then maybe what you do is maybe you transition all the minor league players down to Arizona where you can get those guys running through games I would think there's got to be some markets to some degree for a, a small, you know, TV deal. If you could do it where they're all in one location, you know what I'm saying? Obviously it, it's hard to make the money work when you're just trying to broadcast Wichita wind surge TV games or, but if you're just running, you know, if you can just be running uh minor league games on the MLB network, uh, you know, for the, kind of the off hours of the day anyways, now that makes create some value to have those signs up in, in minor leagues, in the minor league stadiums or down in, in Arizona, wherever it's being played. I know that's a lot to, to, to kind of put together to make that all work, but I, I kind of go back to exactly what you said. I just feel like there's too much money to be had to not figure something out to work. I I think I, I don't disagree with you whatsoever. I mean, as far as is that idea of trying to find, you know, maybe there's a way to bring everybody together to play. You know, maybe there's a TV network that would jump up and say, hey, like, yeah, we'll play some minor league games, you know, on our network. The problem is that's not a priority. And I don't think it's going to yeah. be a priority. I mean, True. the priority is getting the major league squads back out on the field. That's mm. the, those are the big salaries. Those are the, the teams that are generating the billions and billions of dollars in revenue. You know, it's, it's not the, it's not the Wichita wind surge, unfortunately, right. you know, so right. that's just not a priority. But one thing I want to go back to is Miami and, you know, obviously for the wind surge, they're affiliated with the Miami Marlins. Miami is the only team in Major League Baseball right now that has committed to paying their minor league players for the rest of the minor league season. Now, it's not a ton of money per player, but they're the only team that is committed to paying their players for the remainder of the season. There was a mandate that all teams pay their minor league players a minimum of $400 per week through at least May 31st, which we're coming up to the end of that, you know, the end of the month in a few days. Miami's the only team that has said, we're going to pay for the rest of the season. There've been a couple of other teams that have extended their payments. The Tigers have extended through the end of June. Uh, The Philadelphia Phillies will continue payments, but there have been some teams that have said, no, we're not going to. The Oakland Athletics are not going to be paying their minor league players anything more, you know, come Monday. Uh, So the Marlins are the only team to commit to that. What I find so striking about that, Weston, is that when you look at the revenue made by by team in Major League Baseball in 2019, you know where the Miami Marlins were ranked as far as total team revenue? 30 dead last. Dead last as yeah. far as the money that they made. And they're the only team right now in Major League Baseball committed to paying their minor league players through the end of the year. I think that's remarkable. But 
were they, and I'm asking, but I think I know the answer. Were they also dead last in payroll? I bet. I don't think they were dead, dead last in payroll, but I don't but think that they had a lot in payroll. I mean, I'd have to look that up. But, but in fact, I, I can't. I mean, I, I think it's, I think it's remarkable. In right. fact, I, and I had to look this up too. I think that they were the only team, or I think I remember reading like they were maybe the only team that lost money last year. Right. Um, you know, but yet they're the only ones that are committed to paying their players. I think mm-hmm. that speaks to the ownership. I yeah. think it speaks to, you know, the, the dedication that these guys have in taking care of their players on top of that. You know, I, I think it, the other thing that's really striking to me is the is the the crazy disparity between the top of the top in Major League Baseball as far as salary is concerned in the minor leaguers. I mean, right now we're talking about four hundred dollars per week for mm-hmm. these minor league players. That's like sixteen hundred bucks a month, approximately. Yeah. You've got these superstars that are making tens of millions of dollars a year. You know, and you know, it, it just shows the the crazy disparity between the big leagues and the minors. Um, sure. And I don't think it's ever been more apparent than right now. Well, and so a couple of things. First, I'll go back to, to the Marlins, you know, and I kind of wonder if part of that is with having Derek Jeter in that ownership group, you know, he really brings a player first mentality to that ownership group. I mean, I mean, you could just imagine it's probably hard for any of the other owners to really have a player's first mindset when they've never been a player. Like you can even say, you know, the intentions are to be player first, but if you haven't really been in their shoes, you don't know, like Jeter has done and kind of gives that ability to, um, you know, really voice the, Hey, we got to take care of these minor league guys, especially if you look down the road, a team that does have a smaller, um, you know, uh, spending budget every year, they want to take care of their guys because they're going to have to go sign that minor leaguer that they're now paying 400 bucks a week when he's, if he makes it to the majors and then, you know, wants a, a contract, maybe he's going to remember how, how well the Marlins treated him when he goes to sign that first deal. Um, and then, you know, really, I guess kind of on the, on the other side of things, if you're, um, if we're talking about, <clears throat> sorry, Excuse me, sorry. <laughs> I, I do want to point out while you're trying to, you know, clear your throat that I was right that in 2020 the Marlins were not dead last in payroll. They were next to last, but they were not dead last. Uh in 2019, they were fourth from last as far as their overall payroll. So yeah, they don't spend a ton of money a ton of money on on players, but uh their revenues aren't very high either. Right. Well, so and that, and that's I mean, that's exactly I guess really what I'm getting at too. So I mean I, I think this it's it's smart move for the Marlins to to really take care of their players. And um it's interesting that I, I saw a tweet, it was I think it was Darren Vell or maybe John John Heyman um s- suggested, and I'm not sure where they're getting these numbers from, but that the y- Yankees were number one and the Dodgers were number two on highest expected um losses this year if the season was to not go on right which and you know i think that payroll that might be one of the reasons why the marlins are willing to pay their minor league players because considering they don't spend a lot of money on their payroll they're not projected to lose as much money i maybe i don't know as teams like the yankees or the red Sox or the dodgers that have Mm -hmm. these massive payrolls and they have to pay these these players and i I know that that's been a point of contention between the players association and the owners as far as you've got these guys that are making a lot of money that they're gonna have to take some you know potentially some big pay cuts to get back on the field and you know what is that going to look like and you know i i think my hope would be that 
both sides are able to come together and realize, you know, look, like let's make some concessions. We're all going to lose some yeah. money here, but do we want to play baseball this season or don't we? You know, right. and I think it just comes down to that. Yeah. I mean, in the, the to me, the thing it's like, I, I, the reason why I keep thinking it's going to get done is it's not like one side has more or less to lose. In the, I mean, the players lose a hundred percent of what they're going to make if there's no season and the yep. owners, I mean, maybe more than a hundred percent. I mean, they can only lose, I guess, a hundred percent of what they stood to make, you know, how far negative can you go? But I mean, they both sides have significant amounts to lose. So that's why I just, like you said, hope and think that they'll, they'll get something done eventually. And I think that the baseball side of it is so much more intriguing than any other major sport as far as dealing with what's going to happen when it as it relates to to COVID nineteen. You know, you've got NFL that had finished their season before this started. They might have to push a few things back. Things might be a little flexible, but at the end of the day, fall's going to come around. Who knows what's going to happen? Same thing with college football. The NBA had played a majority of their season you know, except for the end of the regular season and the playoffs. So at least they got some of their season in. Same thing with, you know, the NHL. Major League Baseball is the only the the only major sport right now that didn't get a chance to start at all. And there's question of if they'll play the the season at all. Right. Uh, so, you know, I, I think that that's, that's what makes this so much more intriguing because both sides have so much more to lose than I think maybe any other major sport. So that's going to be interesting to tell for sure. I also am going to feel absolutely terrible if there's no minor league season and the, you know, the, the highly anticipated first season of the Wichita wind surge is all for not, you know, in this brand new baseball stadium just sits empty for the entire summer. That's going to be a big time bummer. But, um, you know, like I said before, it wouldn't surprise me if that's what actually happens. Yeah, I mean, I, <laughs> that's kind of like we've. I mean, we're, we can go in circles on this, but that, I mean that that aspect of it kind of looks inevitable at this point. You know, I I am thinking it's harder and harder to envision any type of minor league season being played in everybody's original stadium. Yeah, you know, I think it's going to have to be some sort of offside, or or maybe. I mean, I guess you could start doing very regional limited. You know, Omaha's only playing. You know, or the wind surge play. Omaha, and I know that's that's actually you know you got a double A or well that's two triple A's that's right. my, my bad but in anywho you get, I mean you could I could see how you could start mixing up just hey we're gonna have to cross match and, and do regional things but uh, it's gonna be tough to to get any games played in in Wichita's yep. stadium. We'll definitely keep our eyes on it. I think it's, you know, nothing's going to happen until Major League Baseball is able to figure out what, what's going on with them and the owners and the players. Um, as soon as there's a plan in place for Major League Baseball, I think that's when the other shoe drops and we start to yeah. see some decisions made with Minor League Baseball for sure. Until then, you know, we'll just have to kind of keep our eyes open. But good on the Miami Marlins that they're taking care of their minor league guys, including Absolutely. the Wichita Wind Surge players uh, for the end of the season. We're going to move on now and talk about another sporting event impacted by COVID-19, which has been the main topic of our conversations for the last couple of months on the podcast. But we're talking basketball now uh, and the basketball tournament or TBT, as it's known, uh, is going to be held this summer. It's, you know, it's a big basketball tournament, a bunch of regional sites and then one big you know, final site. That's not going to happen this year. It's going to be one main site, one sole site for TBT. 
24 teams over a week and a half in one quarantine location. Uh, and it's, it's, a, it's a lot of fun. You know, that this got a lot of big sponsors on it last year. Uh, some really big name guys played in it, including a team made up of alumni from Wichita State. Uh, in fact, their team name, the Aftershocks, obviously. Uh, and they're going to be playing in it again this year, uh, you know, as far as everybody knows. Uh, however, the, there was a lot of questions about where is this one quarantined location going to be? You know, if there's not going to be regional sites anymore, where will everyone come to to play? And we don't know the answer to that, but we do know that Wichita and Charles Koch Arena is in the running to be one of the sole or to be the sole location for TBT this summer. What's your opinion on 24 basketball teams? And, you know, I would imagine they're, you know, all the people that surround them, the coaches and the staff and the doctors and all of that mm-hmm. uh, coming into Wichita. I mean, is that a good move, a bad move for the city? Is it something that we, that the city of Wichita should even want to be in the running for? I mean, what are your thoughts on that? Well, I mean, as far as having, you know, that number of, of folks coming in, uh, you know, I mean, as long as it can be, and I think this is going to kind of always be the answer when it comes to the, you know, to COVID, as long as people can do it in a safe manner, then, then yeah, it shouldn't matter. I think my concern with, with something of this level is, you know, these aren't teams that are run on a high caliber level. Like you have a professional sports organization who's going to have team doctors and all sorts of employees, you know, maybe that are dedicated towards making sure we're following protocols, keeping our people safe. This is kind of more like, you know, really good uh, pickup teams kind of just or men's league strolling through. I mean, obviously I know the talent's way higher than that, but I mean, that's ultimately you just have, you know, 10 guys that are hanging out. They don't have a whole staff of people making sure that they're, you know, hotel accommodations are right. That every every guy's got a, a mask if they need a mask. Like, hey, how are we wiping down all our equipment before and after the game? I mean, that's kind of what I think probably makes it a little bit more of a challenge for the basketball tournament when you don't have professional organizations and it's just kind of groups of guys who got together, pulled some money, and are really good basketball players. Yeah, so I think that's a that's a really good point that you just made. One of the things that I I didn't realize. So there are 115 teams that have applied to be part of the tournament and they have not yet announced the 24 teams that will actually be a part of the tournament. So uh, the Wichita State Aftershocks, they applied, but we're not sure if they're actually going to be playing in this year's tournament or not. They did play in last year's, uh, along with, I believe, a team from from Kansas, right? Didn't didn't a KU team play in the tournament last year yeah, too? Yeah, last year, because that's when Perry Ellis tore his ACL like 10 minutes into the game. Um, but I have not looked, to be honest, to see if there is a team from Kansas. And I think there was a team from Kansas State last year too as well. Um, which I was trying to find right now, but I will say I was looking at some of the regional sites and, uh, you know, certainly as long as it can be done safely, you, you hope that Wichita, you know, gets those kind of things. I think it just speaks well for the city, even if there aren't fans and it's not necessarily bringing in, you know, revenue for the economy per se. I mean, other than maybe any type of sponsorships or those kind of stuff you sell. Um, so you certainly hope that Wichita gets it, but it looks like Las Vegas was one of the regional sites. I feel like Las Vegas is probably going to be very well set up to, to handle something like this. I mean, there's just so much more infrastructure in place out there already. I mean, you know, number of hotels, those kind of things. And not that you need, I mean, an over amount, but I just think of when the, when the basketball tournament is making the decision of where they're going, going somewhere where they, you know, it's 
overly qualified to meet their needs just gives them probably a little bit more peace of mind. I, I wonder. I'm going to be actually a little negative about this. Uh, I don't really see a point. I, I like, I don't understand why does this tournament have to happen at all? I mean, like we've seen the, the cancellation of everything. I'm not saying that the, the health, uh, you know, status, everything that's been going on should dictate the fact that they should cancel. But what I am saying is that it's one thing to talk about major league baseball. It's one thing to talk about the NBA, the NHL, you know, the, the NFL, everything that's going on in the world, the major sports. But I think the point that you made proves mine when you said this is like a really good pickup league. You know, it's like a men's league with some, you know, former, you know, big time college guys that are coming back and playing. Do you have to have it? Is it really that big of a deal? Is it really worth bringing in 24 teams from all over the country to one location, potentially Wichita and putting them up to play at Charles Coke Arena? Do we, do, you know, does this tournament even have to happen this year? You know, why not just say, look, like we're going to go ahead and say, we're going to, we're going to postpone it. We'll be back in 2021. I feel like that's what a lot of other events at the caliber of TBT are doing. They're saying, we're just going to go ahead and come back in 2021. That leads me to believe that the sponsorship money is hard for TBT to turn down. And I don't know who their sponsors are, but to me, that would be the only reason why they would be adamant about we have to have this tournament this this year. I mean, we 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 have to. Uh, I don't I don't see any other reason why. Yeah, no, I mean, I agree with you, and and I think probably the, the, with the timing of the tournament and where it's still, I mean, as of right now, we don't have any professional sports back on. I mean, the the main three are not back online. You know, I think the TBT is seeing a great opportunity from the television from a TV deal selling advertisement for those spots with nothing else competing with it. Um, you know, and and really, I I guess I maybe this is something that you have more knowledge than I do, but I don't know. Um, you know, certainly the in-stadium sponsorships, depending on where they're located in the stadium, I mean, that even could be a, you know, a prime uh, sell if, you know, they know that they're going to be in the way, the angles of all the TV cameras, like by the score box. And I'm assuming you kind of account for what kind of TV numbers was how you price those kind of things. So I would yeah. think there's probably a lot of money to be, to be made, but you're, <laughs> but even with that said, you're still right. Like th- this tournament doesn't have, I mean, what are we losing here? Like not, you know, yeah, nothing. Like it's, it's just the money. It's cool. Right. I mean, it's, it's like neat, but it doesn't have to happen. You know, like some of these major leagues and organizations have to happen. Um, and one thing that I do think is interesting from a marketing perspective is TBT is absolutely positively 100% trying to leverage what's going on with COVID-19 for this tournament. In fact, I don't know if this is their slogan or if it's just something that was on the, the the Twitter graphic that they posted, but the phrase that says a fully quarantined tournament is on that graphic. Like they are celebrating, like, look at us, like we are going to be a fully quarantined tournament, like almost using it like for notoriety, I suppose, which just kind of rubs me the wrong way a little bit. So I look at it and I'm like, you don't have to have this. I'm not sure. I love the idea of, you know, 24 teams converging, you know, into Wichita from all over the country. I'm just not sure it's a great idea. So if Wichita gets it, all right, cool, I guess. But at the same time, it's, it's completely unnecessary in my opinion. So I've got two things. One is your, you're right. I agree with you, but I'll still watch it. 
And two, yeah. two, uh, you mentioned the aftershocks, but Tommy, you failed to mention the Wichita Wizards are also one of the teams. They are a semi-pro team in in Wichita, playing with all with players that are all born and raised in Wichita, Kansas. And there is a name on here that you may very well remember, uh, Maurice okay. Maurice Evans. I, I do remember to, Maurice Evans. Yeah, he, he is um, on this roster. And other than that, and and I no disrespect to if we have any Wichita Wizards players listening to our show, which I I doubt. I don't. None of the other names jump out to me. There's a lot of uh, there's some local, some Newman, some friends um, players. I mean, former friends player uh, Bruno Schmidt, uh, former Newman player uh, Sh- Shamar Akwe, if I'm saying that right. Um, and then other than that, uh, you know, I'm not seeing a lot of, there's some Hutch, Emporia State, but all guys that I, I guess, according to this page, were born and raised in Wichita. So, uh, you know, something interesting to keep an eye on, even though I don't necessarily know any of those guys, certainly if they, if they were one of the 24 and, uh, I certainly would, uh, be all more than willing to, to root for those guys. Yeah. Shout out to Wichita native, Wichita collegiate grad in 41 year old Maurice Evans for playing <laughs> on the Wichita wizards. I mean, that's uh, I'm, I'm only a few years younger than him and I, I couldn't run up and down that floor. That's for sure. Uh, so yeah, we'll have to wait and see if Wichita is selected as the host location for TBT. And of course, as that news comes in, we'll make sure to pass it along to you. We're going to stay in the basketball world to, uh, to talk about our next topic, but a little bit more of a sad topic as former Oklahoma state and Kentucky coach and Kansas native, Eddie Sutton passed away uh, just a few days ago at the age of 84. So Eddie Sutton was born in Buckland, Kansas. Uh, He did pass away at his home in South Tulsa, Oklahoma, uh, and was surrounded by family. But less than two months ago, Eddie Sutton was informed that he would be a member of the Naismith Memorial Hall of Fame uh, in the 2020 class. So he did pass away before his induction, uh, but he did know that he would be a member uh, of the Naismith Hall of Fame. Uh, You know, Eddie Sutton, was well known as a guy that, you know, really took Oklahoma State to new levels uh, when he was the coach down there, especially in the 90s and the early 2000s. And this is a guy that uh, had a lot of influence on some big name coaches and players who are still active, including Bill Self from the University of Kansas. Uh, Definitely a, a sad passing for Eddie Sutton, but the guy was a hell of a basketball coach. Yeah, absolutely. I I can remember. Um, I mean, obviously, it would have been, you know, kind of more in the early two thousands. Uh, some big time basketball games between Kansas and, and Eddie Sutton, um, his Oklahoma State Cowboys, and uh, boy, they. I mean, he he put some great product on the floor, and you know, it's obviously you know sad anytime the, the game lose a legend, a legend, but you know, also a you know a family lost a a grandpa, a dad, a, a brother, an uncle. That's you know, it's always sad. Yeah, for sure. I mean, you know, he had a ton of success wherever he went. He was the first coach to take four different schools to uh, the NCAA tournament. But of course, his legacy will be known in Stillwater for sure. Um, he he spent 16 seasons at OSU. They reached 13 NCAA tournaments, six Sweet 16s, three Elite Eights, and made Final Four appearances in 1995 and 2004. Um, one of the, the things that I want to point out about not just Eddie Sutton, but Think of the 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 total number of legendary college basketball coaches that were born in the state of Kansas. And whether or not they coached at Kansas or Kansas State is irrelevant, but the fact that there are a lot of Kansas natives that ended up, you know, being 
legendary basketball coaches. Eddie Sutton is one of them, but you've got guys like Dean Smith for sure. I mean, I think of, you know, um, you know, today we've got Lon Kruger, you know, who's a, a Kansas native. I mean, there are a lot of guys that were born in Kansas that have went on to have incredible careers. Yeah. I, you know, and I, I kind of go back to the episode a few, few, uh, or a few episodes ago when we talked to Matt Beatty and I think I'm pretty sure he mentioned, you know, Wichita's got a lot of incredible talent here uh, from the basketball scene, whether that's coaching or players. I mean, you know, obviously we're just, I mean, it's a smaller state, but we've put a lot of good product into the, both the college and the NBA ranks. Yeah, no, without a doubt. I mean, you, you know, you take a look at, you know, guys, like I mentioned Dean Smith, uh, you know, Adolph Rupp was born in Halstead, Eddie Sutton born in Buckland, Ralph Miller uh, was born in Chanute, Gene Keedy was born in Larned, Lon Kruger born in Silver Lake. Uh, Mark Turgeon was born in Topeka. Mark Fox was born in Garden City. Bill Guthridge was born in Parsons. These are guys that you know are not just college basketball coaches. They're some of the greatest college yeah. basketball coaches. When you look yep. at Dean Smith, Adolph Rupp, uh, Eddie Sutton, born in the Sunflower State, and then you know some current guys too that have you know reached really high levels like Mark Turgeon and Lon Kruger, you know that are Kansas natives. So I, I know that there's always this conversation about the the basketball programs in the state and historically how solid they are, you know, you got to give credit to, you know, even Kansas state too, you know, with a lot of success over the years and Wichita state, you know, even before their most recent success had success back in the eighties. And, you know, prior to that too, um, the programs are solid, but the coaches born in this state, uh, I'm, I'm not sure there's another state that can boast the, the top level coaches that have come out of Kansas. No, I mean, well, I mean, you, when, you, when you say uh, Dean Smith, Adolph Rupp, I mean, you're you can kind of just stop the conversation right there. Yeah. The fact that those, I mean, those are pro- two of the top four college basketball coaches of all time. I mean, if you had to put in the yeah. top four, I can't imagine many lists without those two in it. That's I mean, you know, you've got Dean Smith that won 879 games, you mm-hmm. know, uh, two national titles. Adolph Rupp uh, had 876 wins and four national titles. Eddie Sutton won 804 games. Ralph Miller, uh, you know, coached Wichita State, Iowa, and Oregon State. He won 657 games. I mean, you know, th- a lot of wins on this list, too. So I think we could go on and on just about the pedigree. But uh, I, I just I noticed that. And I, I guess I had forgotten that Eddie Sutton was born in Buckland. Uh, I didn't realize he was a Kansas native. Uh, and then I saw his obituary and I was like, yeah, I guess he, he was from Kansas. So that just got me thinking of all of the coaches born in Kansas. So um, yeah. I think it's important to bring that up and talk about that along with Eddie Sutton's legacy. Absolutely. Shout out to Eddie Sutton and shout out to the, uh, all the coaches in the state of Kansas. I also want to mention we're going to stay with college basketball and talk about the Kansas State Wildcats a little bit. Uh, and I'm going to let you try to tackle this guy's name. Uh, one of the players, one of the new players for Kansas State uh, has received a waiver from the NCAA. He'll be immediately eligible to play in the 2020 and 2021 season. Um, and, and so tell me this guy's name because I can't pronounce it. Kaosi Azigwe. I'm proud. I think I'm, I'm more confident about the first name than I am the last name. Uh, but I felt like if I just said it with some confidence, maybe everybody would believe me. Uh, yeah. So he's, uh, he's, and I guess the big news with, with KOC is at least how I'm going to say it. He, <laughs> so he transferred in from, uh, UTEP immediately and it will immediately become eligible. So that's the big news. He will be able to play for the Wildcats this year, six foot 10, 240 pound, uh, center. So real, real big body, uh, to come in. And it looks like he, he played for UTEP l- last year. Um, played 
decent minutes. I, I missed the average of minutes, but I think he ended up, I think he averaged like three, three points a game and like two rebounds a game. So, you know, came in and contributed as a freshman. So uh, you certainly have to be encouraged about what, you know, what he can build on uh, within the wildcat program. So does he look like a guy from what you can tell that will come in and immediately contribute to K state, or is he more of a guy that needs a year under his belt before he can come in? You know, I, I, without, you know, kind of relooking at the Kansas State roster, just from, I mean, you, you kind of got to think to yourself, I mean, if he's, as a freshman, averaging three and two, essentially, at UTEP, I mean, you're going to move up to the Big 12. I mean, the game changes a lot. I mean, the Big 12, in, in my opinion, is one of the, if not the best uh, conference in all of college basketball. So the quality of competition he's going to play against, you know, I certainly expect him to, see minutes this year. Um, but I, you know, I don't think he's, he steps in and, and starts. Um, but you know, I, I guess that kind of depends on, on how that roster shapes up, uh, you know, come September, October, when, when basketball season really starts rolling around. The quote from Bruce Weber, head coach of the Wildcats says, I'm excited for KOC that he was able to gain this waiver. He really made some strides this past semester and brought physicality and competitive spirit to practice. His experience will help our team. So KOC, a Zigway, is that right? Hey, we're, we're consistent. So maybe that we're going to start, everybody will start calling him that. But that's there what I go. said. Yeah. So hopefully that's right. KOC Azigway, <laughs> uh is immediately eligible for this upcoming season for the Wildcats. Let's get into the Wichita whip around right now. It seems like we're talking a lot of basketball tonight uh, on this episode, which is totally okay. We talked baseball before, now we're talking basketball. But we're going to get into prep basketball and talk about the Wichita City League a little bit. Uh, some changes happening in the City League specifically at Wichita East High School as they have a brand new head basketball coach. That's Clint Kinneman, who's coming in to be the new head men's or head head boys basketball coach and head boys golf coach at East High School for this upcoming season. Now, a little bit about Coach Kinneman. He comes from East High from St. John Hudson High School, where he has coached for the last 19 years. He has 29 years of coaching experience four state basketball championships at St. John Hudson's uh, Hudson in 15 appearances in the state tournament, including seven of the last eight years. His, uh, his winning percentage in the state tournament is 80, just almost 83% with a 23 and six record. And by the way, he also has two state golf championships during his coaching tenure as well. This is a guy that when it, when you look at small high school basketball in the state of Kansas, his name is always at the top, and it wouldn't surprise me at all if he had had offers to go to a bigger school multiple times in his 19 years, uh, but it, it definitely had to be something special, I would think, for him to leave St. John Hudson, where he's had so much success over the last 19 years, to go into the City League, which is a totally different kind of basketball, uh, and, and hopefully, you know, his whole plan is to, you know, take East to a new level. So uh, I don't know how much you know about this guy, but what are your initial thoughts of somebody going from a small Kansas school to now a city league team uh, for a brand new experience coaching? Yeah, so I don't know a lot about Coach Kinneman himself, but you know I know he, you know, he did coach Dean Wade out there at, at St. John, um, so you know he has experience coaching you know, guys that want to make that next jump or have, maybe I should even not say the guys that want to make the jump to the next level, but guys that, that have the ability and can jump to that next level and go play D1 basketball. And, you know, Wichita East, 
has been consistently one of you know one of the better city league schools you, you know year in and year out they they have a lot of kids that come through that organization um obviously we're in the era of high school basketball where you know collegiate sunrise um you know those are the kind of the, the schools the the routes that a lot of kids are taking to, and going kind of that route instead of necessarily playing in the city league but you know i, I don't think that there's while it, it's a different he's going to have much better athletes at east than he had out in in st john just by sheer numbers of kids coming through that school it, it's still it's still the game of basketball you know and i think his you know, when you have success at that level for for 19 seasons, you're good. That means you're a good coach, and not necessarily that you just have a, a good system that you're running. You know, a good coach can adapt, and I, I don't think that there will be any struggles for him adapting to uh, this new style of basketball that the city league plays compared to what you know what his teams were seeing out at St. John's. I mean, you know, you do say that he's going to have better athletes at, at East, and I don't disagree with you. Um, but at the same time, there's going to be unique challenges that he's going to face in a program like being in the city league that he wouldn't experience in, you know, in St. John. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, you know, I, I think that there's, I think there might be a little bit of a, I don't want to say a culture shock, but they'll definitely, there will definitely be an adjustment for him. You know, you're, you're, you're coaching, uh, when you're at St. John, it's a small town in Western Kansas. Mm-hmm. You know, you've got guys like Dean Wade that when he went to Kansas state, he was known for being a grinder. He was known for working extremely hard. I'm not saying that, you know, guys at East don't work extremely hard, but it's a different kind of basketball, right? I mean, like you've got, you've got athletes that can play head and shoulders, probably above some of the guys at St. John, but I would imagine that at St. John, these guys are also working really, really, really hard. Um, and, and so I'm, I'm trying to find a way to not be, uh, I'm not trying to look down on East at all. I'm not trying to look down on any team in the City League. But I just think that there's going to be some adjustments that Coach Kinnaman is going to have to make for his success in a small Western Kansas town to translate into the City League. It's going to be, it is basketball, but it's a completely different kind of basketball, I would think. Yeah, I mean, there's there's definitely no there's no doubt about that. And the players he has, I mean, just I mean, just kids that live in Wichita are going to be different from the kids you're coaching in St. John's. I mean, just th- that's just an absolute truth that you're working with. And that's not to say that you won't have some kids that are hard workers, some kids that aren't, some kids that want to play me basketball, some kids that want to play team basketball. Like right or wrong, like you can make any of that work, but it'll just be different for him. And and you're definitely right there i just i always i guess i kind of think the mark of a good coach is being able to adapt in different situations and and he has shown success you know for a pretty long level at st john's and and i was i was trying to look up a little bit about about him here and it it, it looks like i was trying to find it i'm sure that with especially when he had dean wade and some of those teams out in st john st john yeah they, you know, they're probably putting together MOIB teams and, and traveling too, and especially sure. when you have someone like Dean Wade, and you have teams that have kind of dominated out west like they did. I'm sure you have gone and played, you know, in tournaments in Wichita, in tournaments in Kansas City, in tournaments in Oklahoma City, and he's probably been exposed to how to coach against teams that would typically be playing in the city league. Um, so. Uh, not that that just because you know hey he's been to some tournaments with him at 
MAYB tournaments where similar teams East have played doesn't mean he's going to be successful. But, you know, it, it's exposure over the last, you know, five, six years, however long they've probably been doing that uh, for him to kind of be able to have a heads up on what he's getting into. Yeah, I think he'll do well. And I, you know, I, I think that it will, you know, I think whatever adjustments will need to be made, he'll make them. The guy has, you know, he's long tenured. He's coached for 29 years at three different schools. Um, you know, he was the Western Kansas Basketball Coach of the Year uh, winner eight different times. He's a four-time Kansas Basketball Coaches Association Coach of the Year as well. You win those awards for a reason. The guy can flat out coach. And now he's bringing his pedigree and his success from St. John into the City League for Wichita East, and uh, I'm sure he'll do a great job, so looking forward to that. That's our Wichita whip around. Before we wrap up our show, we're going to get into the finally funny, and I'm a little bit shocked that (laughs) this topic that we're going to be talking about you didn't even watch it. It was one of the most watched <laughs> events of all time. The match part two with Tiger Woods and Peyton Manning taking on Phil Mickelson and Tom Brady this past Sunday on TNT. Uh, millions and millions of people watched it. And you're telling me you did not? Tommy, I'm probably going to upset you even a little bit more. I, I'm not even sure what, what day it was on. What Which weekend day was it on? It was on Sunday. Okay, well, see, I was, I told you at the beginning of the show, I was with my buddies smoking a six pound pork butt. So it was a little occupied. You can't, hold on. You can't, (laughs) I would, I would think the best entertainment while you're smoking a pork butt is to watch these guys playing golf. True. But again, as I mentioned, I was in Freeman, Missouri, kind of out there in the sticks. My buddy's got a big barn and his Wi-Fi didn't reach from his house to his barn. So, I mean, I was kind of stuck, but listen, I'm, you know, I, I, I think I enjoy following professional golf more than I do the watching of it. So, you know, when PGA is on, I feel like at, at most times I kind of have a grasp of who's doing what, maybe who won, who won or who's doing well in the last tournaments, what's upcoming. Um, but I think it, that is almost more associated with just my, my love of sports. Um, so when you kind of have an event like this, it, to, it just doesn't quite appeal to me Um because it's kind of a one-off, I guess, and it's not in the grand scheme of, but with that being said, had I just been at home on Sunday, I may very well have, have watched it. It sounded entertaining and I'm sure you can probably provide me with some insight of, of some of the highlights here. Well, yeah, I mean, it was incredibly entertaining. And I think that one of the things that people were talking about, you know, nonstop was how bad of a golfer Tom Brady is, um, (laughs) at least early on. I mean, and I think a lot of it was nerves, you know, it's one thing to go out, and play a sport that you've excelled at for 20 years. It's another thing to be, you know, on a national stage and play a sport that you're not known for, you know, and, and try to not be nervous about that. And there were a lot of shots that he made that I thought, all right, well, this makes me feel a little bit better about my game. Like if I can, if I can hit the ball better than Tom Brady, then, you know, maybe I'm, maybe I'm, I'm going somewhere. Um, you know, but he, he did struggle really early on, uh, until I feel it was like the seventh or eighth hole and Charles Barkley was in his ear talking trash to Tom about how bad he was playing. Tom turns around, he's about 150 yards out. Um, and it was for birdie and he made the shot. He holed out from 150 yards right after Charles Barkley was talking trash to him. And then from that point on, he was kind of, he played a lot better at that point. I think it kind of loosened him up some, but, uh, but, but ultimately uh, Tiger and Peyton won. Peyton played really well 
especially at the beginning. He was making putts. Um, you know, he was he was hitting some good shots. Uh, obviously, all the money went to COVID nineteen relief, but uh, but mm-hmm. it was kind of fun. I mean, the the guys were all mic'd up. You could they could hear the commentators. Uh, they were having conversations. They were trash talking. The weather was terrible. Uh, poured down rain pretty much the entire time. Uh, but it looked like they were having a good time, and and it was it was pretty entertaining. Now, who did we uh, who did we say was going to win? Because I'm not sure our. Yeah, we both said that Phil and and Tom would win. <laughs> yeah. And not only that, but I actually doubled down on that and I actually bet money on Phil and Tom. Oh. Uh like, I don't know, maybe 30 minutes before the the round started. I just I had this thought in my mind and I think it was what we talked about before that, you know, Tiger has had a you know, he's got a fused back mm-hmm. and Peyton has a fused neck. And I just thought Phil and Tom have got to be healthier than Tiger and Peyton are. I, it's never a good idea to bet against Tiger right. Woods. No, that's uh, true. I put I put fifty bucks on Phil and Tom, and I I lost it all. Well, and I you know, and I think in my head, I I thought that Tiger and Phil were probably a little bit more on the same playing level. Which I, the guy I work with is a huge Tiger stan, and he would roast. He would not be letting me have that conversation that that Tiger and Phil were anywhere on the same playing level right now. But I feel like I've seen much more of Tom Brady celebrity golf. Than I have of Peyton. So I kind of thought just, I guess just seeing him more made me think he was better than Peyton and that that gap disparagement would uh, pay off. But boy, well, and what I thought was really interesting was that, you know, Tom Brady, there were multiple times that he kind of acted like he didn't really know the rules. Like he hit it out of bounds one time and he's like asking the commentators, like he's by himself in his cart. And he's over where like the out of bounds line is. And he goes, Hey, I don't know if anybody can hear me, but can somebody tell me where I'm supposed to drop this ball? Like he didn't really know. (laughs) And I thought you're on national television right now, you know, and I'm not saying you have to be a scratch golfer, but if you're going to play in a match like this, Mm -hmm. you should probably know the rules, you know, before (laughs) you get in and start playing now, you know, in his defense, He's focused on football. Peyton's got a lot more time on his hands, I feel like, to be able to go out and play golf right now. But um, there was a lot of disparity, I felt like, between Peyton and Tom, Peyton being the much better golfer, which was kind of surprising to me. Yeah, but and I guess as soon as you said what you just said, it made me go, "What? why didn't I think of that? You're right. Like, I mean, especially with golf, Peyton could literally when he when he signed up to do this match, he could have went out and hit hit balls or played every day for the next two months. And that alone is going to make you probably not probably it's going to give you a heads up on any other golfer who's maybe got, you know, a couple Saturdays between here and there. I mean, that's just the way golf is. The more opportunity you have to get reps, the better you're going to be. So I should have I guess I should have logged that alone saying, hey, Peyton can be playing every day. Like, that's a huge advantage. And there have actually, from what I know, there have, there have been conversations about continuing this and making this a, a, a regular deal, you know, maybe once a year or a couple times a year. Uh, and in fact, I heard a rumor and I, you know, nothing has been signed or official or whatever. And maybe it's just people talking and maybe it's just a rumor, but I did hear that one of the proposed uh, next matchups would be, you know, Tiger and Phil, obviously, but one of them would get Steph Curry and one of them would get Michael Jordan. Mm-hmm. And 
I don't know. I mean, I think that would be, I mean, can you imagine like having, you'd have to put Tiger and MJ together on a team, I feel like, yes. and have Phil and Phil and Steph play together too. Yep. Um, that would just be incredible. You would have to watch that one, right? Oh, I, I would be all in on that one. And I think Steph's a really good golfer, like a really good yeah. golfer. And I know Jordan's competitive, but I don't know that he's that. I mean, I think Steph Curry is like a, a really, I think from what I've seen is a pretty dang good golfer. So that'd actually probably yeah. be a really good matchup too. But I would absolutely just to see Tiger Woods and Michael Jordan on the same team, pick the sport doesn't matter just to see those as those two as teammates done i'm in for sure sign me up yeah so obviously we made this part of our finally funny and and really the funny part about it in my opinion the funniest thing from the entire you know six hours that i watched this was towards the very beginning and and i don't know how how much you follow phil mickelson phil's my guy phil's my favorite golfer of all time he's a lefty i'm a lefty um i've oh i followed his career from day one the guy is an entertainer and he's a funny guy and he likes to talk and he likes to joke. He likes yeah. to trash talk. He just, he likes to have fun. And I think this match with him being able to be mic'd up, uh, just like the last one where people can hear what he's saying. Like when he's playing a regular golf tournament, nobody knows what he's saying on the course. You can't hear him, but he's got a microphone on and he's, he's giving his opinion on things. At one point he's on the tee box and he's giving a lecture like he's basically just talking about the strategy and hitting his ball somewhere and what he wants to do and what he and Tom need to do on the whole. I mean, he's just he's playing to the crowd, basically, and just talking nonstop. Tiger is standing right off the, the tee box and there's a camera right by Tiger. Tiger turns his head, looks in the camera and he goes, now you all know what I've been dealing with all these years. <laughs> and it was so funny. And I could just, I could just picture all of those tournaments where Phil is talking tiger's ear off and tiger's like, I don't want to hear it right now. Like I'm trying to focus on golf. And that yeah. I think is just the, that's the epitome of their relationship with one another. I mean, they're rivals and they always have been, um, but, and they're completely different personalities, but they complement each other so well. Yeah, no, that's I, I, and that is something that, like I said, I've, I've followed golf. So I, you know, I definitely knew of that aspect and, um, it sounds like it, it had really good ratings and everybody was tuning in and talking about it. So, you know, it sounds like something that they could go ahead and do part. Would it be part two or part three? Part three. Part yeah, three. Part three. Right. right. We, we ought to try to lobby them to, uh, you know, see if tiger would take one of us and Phil would take the other one and we could do our own match with them. Cool. I'm not sure if that would ever happen, but that'd be pretty cool. Yeah, I mean, I would probably have to take Tiger, but we, we could go from there. <laughs> hey, I'll take Phil. I've got no problem with that at all. <laughs> that's our finally funny for today. And that's going to wrap things up for Keeper of the Games, this edition of the show. Hey, don't forget to subscribe so you're notified whenever we drop a new episode. Pretty much anywhere where you listen to your favorite podcasts on all the major platforms out there, like iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, brand new on iHeartRadio. Tune in, Pocket Cast, and Stitcher as well. You can go to our website, cogpod, kogpod.weebly.com. You can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at kogpod, and you can watch full video episodes on Facebook and YouTube by searching for Keeper of the Games. Again, special thanks to our sponsor, Title Boxing Club at 21st and Rock Road in the shops at Tallgrass. Don't forget your first month free with the purchase of any gloves. So thanks to them for sponsoring uh, Cogpod. And don't forget, you can also follow us individually as well. Weston, what's your Twitter handle? At WMills94. You can follow me at Tweets from Tommy as well. So until next time, for Weston Mills, I'm Tommy Caster. You've been listening to Keeper of the Games. Take care, you guys.
You've been listening to Keeper of the Games with Tommy Castor and Weston Mills. Don't forget to subscribe, download, and listen on all major podcast platforms like iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, and more. Find the podcast and videos on Facebook and YouTube at Keeper of the Games and follow the podcast on Twitter and Instagram at CogPod. That's K-O-G-Pod. 